Ephesians chapter 2. Again, thanks Austin for reading it. I don't know how many of you have, have ever seen the movie. It has been a while for me uh, in seeing the movie, but it reminded me as I was thinking about this passage, and you were dead in the trespass of sins, I couldn't help but think of um, <laughs> the movie Princess Bride. I don't know if you've seen that movie. There's so many good lines from that movie. But if you remember, Wesley had been what seems like he's been killed, and he's dead, and his companions, you know, he's wanting him to, he's like, he's going to avenge the death of my father. And so they take him to a, a guy named Miracle Max. And if you remember old Miracle Max, there's some famous saying he says in there, but I think it's a truth that we, it's not a truth, it's a, it's a thought that many people in our day would say about us spiritually. And, and he used this line, he's looking at him, they're talking to him, he's like, he's dead, like, what are we going to do? You got to do something. And, and he's like, no, he's He's mostly, thankfully, he's only mostly dead. He says he's mostly dead. And he says there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. And he said one thing is when they're, they're completely dead, there's one thing you can do. And you go through their clothes and look for loose change. And this was his perspective on death, is that, you know, there's mostly dead and then there is all dead. In this passage, it tells us something about our state. Notice, you might not have noticed it as we were just reading it, but look in verse 2. It says, in which you once walked. Paul's audience, as he is expanding on this, he really roots us. If you, again, we're not walking through the book of Ephesians over the next month. We're just looking at this passage. But if you were to study the book of Ephesians, you'll see he roots every, all the practical things in the book of Ephesians at the end. As he gets to chapter 4, 5, and 6, as he gets on, he gets very practical, but he roots all of it in the gospel in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And what we find is here, the audience is us. It's people. It's humans. He says, in which you once walked. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived. And then at the end of that same verse in verse 3, it says, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. One thing I want to do this morning is help us see the condition of our hearts without Christ. As we've been walking through the book of Mark, we looked at the heart is the heart problem. The problem that we have is not the, the, the sin around us, it's not the things around us, it's not a, a spouse that makes things difficult in your life, it's not work relationships that make things, ultimately those are occasions that bring out the problem that's inside of us in how we respond. Have you ever noticed that with you? Like when you respond in anger, where is that coming from? Did they cause that? Did, did someone else cause you to get angry in that response that comes out of your heart? What, what is it? It's not, they might have been the occasion that brought that out of you, but what is it? It's something inside of us that brought it out. It's the heart issue. And Paul is saying, first and foremost, when we talk about this idea of from death to life, first it's understanding the aspect that all people are dead in sin. Look at verse, again, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Think about this. You are completely dead. There's not an almost dead. That is the view of our world. Our world would say, most in culture would say that innately most people are pretty good people. Like that they're not that bad of a person or they're not that bad of people. They're, they're, you're innately good. You come into this world, you're a pretty good person, you know, but 
you know, you're not, you might not have made the best of choices. You not, might have made some bad choices during the teenage years, but then you kind of got older and, you're, you know, you become a person and you figure out life and, you, and you're not that bad. So innately, you're not that bad of a person. That's different than what Scripture, Scripture says, that we are dead in our trespasses. And that is our greatest problem. You see, our greatest problem is we are dead. And what is it when someone is dead, when something's dead, what, 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 how can that person ever get up? How can that person ever go about living? They can't because they're dead. They can't summon enough energy or they can't have a, a, a fire stoke put to your mouth like Miracle Max does and starts pumping some air into uh, Wesley's mouth. No, this is not what we need outside help. There is something in us that is completely dead, and we're not just partly dead or somewhat dead or not that bad of a person. We are completely dead, and it's described in this way. We're dead in something. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Notice what he says. You're following the world's ways. You see, it tells us here we follow the the pattern or the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of, notice this, another word, disobedience. Verse 3 says, I mean, listen, listen to the, the downward spiral of what this deadness is bringing out in, from, in and from us. It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out, notice this, what is it? Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, notice this, by nature, children of wrath. Your deepest core, who you are by nature apart from Christ is dead. It's death. Description here, children of wrath. What does this mean? This means that the wrath of God is coming against all people who are dead in their sins. They are children of wrath. The wrath of God, I mentioned this last week, the wrath of God is coming you know, we talk sometimes about how the Old Testament is a little bit dark. You know, it's like the Old Testament, you know, there's, there's lots of battles. There's lots of stories of death and, and tragedy and all these dark stories. And then we're like, oh, the gospel, it's like this new, beautiful thing. But listen, have you read Revelation? Revelation also speaks of, cr- I mean, crying and gnashing. It speaks of judgment of wrath of God against. And this is what we're learning about who is this God. This God is just He's perfect, and here his justice brings forth, it brings forth wrath. And so here our condition without Christ is is very ugly in these verses. Can't help but think of, uh, in in the 1700s was the Great Awakening, and in the the Great Awakening there was one um, preacher and, and pastor, his name was George Whitfield. If you've ever, if you've never read of him, I would encourage you to, there's some incredible stories, but in his journal... He recalls uh, about a time when he was preaching to this crowd. And so he would go to some of the minor towns and other things, and he would go into these areas, and he would just start preaching the gospel, sometimes on the streets, on the corners, just preaching the gospel of Christ. And one time there was a man who walked up to him. And this man, as, as uh, George Whitfield recalls, this man was walking with his pockets full of stones. 
And Whitfield, as he tells it in his journal, was saying how when the man came up to him, this is what the man said to him after this message. He said, I came to hear you uh, with pockets full of stones to break your head. But God, through your preaching, has broken my heart. You see, this hardened heart, this is a picture of this man, his pockets full of stone. His, hearts were so, his heart was so full of hardness that it was ready to kill this man preaching the gospel. This is the description that we see in these verses, but the beautiful thing is verse 4. And I would encourage you, circle it, but God. This is a remarkable statement of God intervening. You know, here's the condition, dead. Children of wrath, the wrath of God on the, in bringing His justice on sin. We're living in the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But verse 4, what I want you to see here is not only do we see the condi- our condition without Christ in, in verses 1 through 3, but here what we see is God's mercy and grace through Christ. God's mercy and grace through Christ here in verses 4 through 7. But God. You see, there's death. How's this dead person ever going to get up? How can a dead man walk again? How could Lazarus get out of the grave? How could Jairus' daughter come back to life again, who's her breathless, empty body, dead, decaying, already decaying body? How is it ever going to come back? Jesus is going to do it. Only someone else but God. And notice what it is about God that is so needed. Notice this. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Notice two amazing words there. His love and his mercy. If you remember and you recall when Moses went, who are you God? And when Abraham, the same thing, when, when God was revealing himself to Abraham, when he's revealing himself to the people of Israel, how would he describe himself? He would describe himself as steadfast love, abounding in mercy and steadfast love to thousands of generations, from generation to generation. He described himself as steadfast, as a loyal type of love. It's a love you because I love you love. And here we see it's but God being rich in mercy. Think of this this way. If God is a just God, our deser- what we deserve is wrath. We deserve His wrath. We deserve punishment for sin. We are dead in our sins. Why would God ever forgive us? Why would He ever make things right for us? The reason is because He's just, but He's also merciful. He's not a, I love the, the way it says here. Notice that notice the, the, it's not just God is merciful and God is loving. No, it says he's rich in mercy. And it's a, not just any love, it's a great love. This is the love of God. It is this steadfast, loyal, true Love. It's a love not because of the things that you've done, not because you're better and that you've cleaned yourself up and that you, then you'll be accepted by God, which is most of us think this way because that's how our society works. It's how we work almost by nature is that we earn love. 
that you think, man, and I know it's so easy for many of you maybe who, who've grown up in the church and you've heard these truths and you, and you think of yourself and you actually look at yourself and you're like, I'm not that bad. And then maybe even you think that God's grace to you, I need his grace, but, but you know, I mean, I was a pretty good person or maybe, just maybe, you're like I was for years. I kept trying to earn. I was trying in my deadness, try to bring myself to life. I was trying to be good enough so that God then would accept me. I know I've said this before. I played a lot of sports growing up, and I tell you how many times, and this is so pathetic to think when I look back at this. It's like, why did my brain ever do these things? But I would, I would be always worried, like, is God going to bless me when I'm pitching in this game or when I'm playing on this football field? And so, like, have I sinned this week? And so I'd be trying to get my heart ready so that I would be successful in this game. And if you've ever played sports and you love God, you probably have thought of some of those similar lines. You're like, all right, is God going to bless me in this way? Or maybe you're an academic and you're, like, wondering, like, is God going to bless my prayers. He's going to answer my prayers because I've been good enough. You see, that's trying to be a dead person and trying to walk, and you just can't. You're never going to get the grace of God in that way. You're not going to be earning God's grace. You can't. Remember, this is the reminder. This is the strong language here. You're dead. Dead people can't get up. Dead people need someone to move them. The thing is, all, all you can do is move them. You can't give them life. So how does a dead person get up? How does a person get out of this condition? It is because of God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Notice this, verse 5. This is what my point is in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Notice this. God is rich in mercy, and with great love, He's doing something while we are dead in our trespasses. He breathes life into your spiritual lungs. He takes a hardened heart, just like this man who walked up to George Whitfield and was like, I'm coming, I was prepared with hardened rocks, with rocks of stone in my pocket to kill you. But God showed up that day in his preaching and was using his preaching that day to bring his heart to be soft and to respond to the gospel. You see, only God can do that. And notice how it's accomplished. It's accomplished by grace. It tells us here, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved and raised up. See the picture of death? Been ra- by grace you have been raised up. By grace you have been raised up and raised up with Him. Notice this. Think of this. When we celebrate at Easter this, this momentous, the biggest point in all of history, is Jesus overcoming the grave, getting up and walking out of the tomb. His death to life on his own resurrection. Here's the beautiful thing. This is like a sinking aspect, like that we are synced with him so that when he died and rose again, it's as if we died with him and were raised up with him. Notice this, verse 6, and raised us up with him. And notice this, not only just raises you up, he raises you up to be seated with him in the heavenly places. Notice this. It's all rooted in, this is a phrase that's throughout the book of Ephesians, if you've ever read it, in Christ. You have to be in Christ. 
Notice what happens in verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's showing the riches, again, these descriptive words about his grace. It's not just he's rich in mercy. He He has this great love. And here now he has riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, our condition without Christ is doomed. This is the darkness that we see in verses 1 through 3. But in 4 to 7, we're seeing God's mercy and His grace through Christ. He's seating us with Christ. He elevates us. I love how Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers as he's been called, said, I have a great need for Christ. And I have a great Christ for my need. You see, here at the cross that we were singing about, as we are telling us here, what is it that God is going to do? How does He accomplish these things? It tells us it's by grace. Notice probably verses maybe some of you have memorized before from years gone by. For by grace you have been saved through faith, verse 8. Notice the next line, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You see, this is what's so difficult for us. We think that we can be good enough or clean ourselves up. Or maybe even you wrestle with that. Like, does God really, will He really truly accept me? I'm such a failure. You're like Paul going like, I'm unworthy. I'm a persecutor of Christians. The verses I read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. I don't deserve God's grace. Why would I ever deserve God's grace? I was a persecutor of Christians. But what did he refer to? He pointed to the grace of God. But it's been God's grace that I am who I am, as Paul says. It's not something that you can ever earn. It's not something, it tells us in verse 9, it's not a result of works. Why? Think of this. If you could point to your baptism, if you could point to your lifestyle, what would you do? You could say, Look what I have done. It would be so easy to point to your boasting. Look, I know some of you haven't been as as faithful. You know, maybe some of you haven't followed God. But I have. Like, I've worked really hard. God, you should accept me. Notice the pride. There's no place for pride. God opposes the proud. But what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. See, like Charles Spurgeon again, I have a great need. Do you see your need that you are dead in your sins apart from Christ? But you have a beautiful, great Christ for your need. Listen, this is all a response. How do we respond to this grace? We respond to it, and it tells us, by faith. Not by works. It's not by effort. It's not by skill or fame that we were singing about earlier. That's not what gives you worth in God's eyes. No, rather, it is only, only because of grace. It is only because of the grace of Jesus that you have been saved, as we were looking at in verse 5. Only reason you could be ever raised up is because of grace. The vehicle, the way you receive grace, is by faith. And here it tells us this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, verse 8. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. 
So hear God's mercy. See God's mercy and His grace that comes through Christ. My question for you this morning is, have you responded to this grace or are you still trying to earn it? Listen, maybe some of you, you're like, I do believe and I, I claim to know God. I know the, the facts about God. I know the gospel. I know that Jesus came and he lived a perfect sinless life and he fulfilled the moral law. He fulfilled it perfectly. He never once sinned. And so he becomes an atoning sacrifice for all people. You might like, I believe those things. I know those things. But how about your heart? Are you cheapening God's grace by trying to earn it? Are you minimizing His grace toward you by trying your best to earn it? Listen, you can't earn it. There's nothing that you can do. This is, what's so, this is also what's so beautiful is that is God's love toward us that in verse 5, let me, let's read that one more time. Look at it, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. It comes to you. His grace comes towards you and it overwhelms you and it opens your blood. The reason that maybe some of you have ever responded to the gospel, the reason that you're even here today is because of God's grace towards you. The question is, how will you respond? Will you believe? Will you put your faith? Will you rest? I, would, I put it this way. What's the posture of your heart? Are you resting in what God has done for you or are you still trying to earn it? See, that was me from about five years old to about 17 or almost 18 years old. I was resting in all that I was doing. I was trying my best to be a good person for God. I mean, I, I, I would say I had an affection for God. I wanted to please Him, but I was doing it all on my own. I was doing it all in my power. I was a dead person trying to be alive spiritually. But God woke me up when I was 17. I was reading about I was reading in Scripture, and I was reading about that is not about me, and I was trying my best to be the best I could be. I was, and I was just felt stuck. I felt like I could never get out of it. I was like, I'm trying my best, God. Will you bless? Will you do this? And I, I knew all the facts about God. I knew the facts of the gospel. I knew all these things. But I wasn't resting in what He had done for me. I was putting my hope in me, not him. You see, we don't work for salvation, but what God does in our lives is he takes our dead bones and our dead hearts and our hardened hearts and he softens them as he gives us a new heart as, as Nicodemus and Jesus have this great conversation and, and Nicodemus is like, what must I do to be born again? And Jesus explains, what do I do to be saved? And he says, you need to be born again. You need new life. You can't, you can't just shift gears a little bit. No, you need a new heart, as Jeremiah explains. But here's what we see, though. What happens, though, to the believer in Christ is there's a shift. You're not working for God's acceptance. You're working because you have been accepted. And so here's what you're created for. You're created for good works. Look at this again here in verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the call of the follower of Jesus. We're created. He 
loves you. He lavished his love on you. He has been great. He's been gracious to you. He's been kind to open your eyes to the gospel. He has given breath to your lungs. He gives you life spiritually. And here he is. He's now calling us. Here's the point. Here's the goal. Here's the life that you live. You live this life of preparing you and working in you and creating you to be his worker, to do good works, to do these things, not, not to get acceptance, but because you have been accepted. We walk in this way. We're created for a purpose. You have a mission. The gospel is full of mission. When you think of, we've been studying the book of Mark, and as you watch Mark, all, I, I can't help but as I see the healings, and you're going like, why did he heal this person and not that person? Or why did he do this? And what was he doing here? And why is he showing these things? Yes, it is for our benefit, but what he was doing while he was on earth is he was teaching and training and molding these 12 ordinary men to be his ambassadors to the nations. He was training them for mission. He was preparing them. He's teaching them. He's showing them what his power is and who he is so that they would go boldly and proclaim the gospel to the nations. You see, they were created and they were given a purpose and a mission. And you and I are created with a purpose and a mission. He gives us life to give us a purpose to live for him. We're to walk in this way. Again, I like the, the Puritans and some of the, the former the reformers and others, and, and one by John Newton has grabbed a hold of my heart this week. He said this, I am not what I ought to be. Oh, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil, and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon shall I put off mortality, and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say this, I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostles and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, God opens our blind, deaf, we were looking at this with the the deaf and mute man last week. God opens the ears of the spiritually deaf. He opens the eyes of the blind to see that they need Him. You see, He is actively doing these things. He's taking dead people and making them alive again. Why? Because He is rich in mercy because He's abounding in steadfast love, because He has been gracious and kind to us. You see, Jesus does all this to do what Paul later says in this chapter, in verse 19. Look what He says. So then you are no longer strangers. This is verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members. Notice this, of the household of God. You see, Jesus brings, takes you from death to life. And he doesn't say, all right, now you have life. Go live it to the, the best you can on your own in isolation and, and follow me and love me and serve me. No, he, he calls you into community. He calls you into his family. I was reading um, Knowing God Again by J.I. Packer. And in that, uh, there's, he makes some really bold statements that I've heard quoted from other pastors and, and different ones along the years. And especially true, especially 
sits so well with me because it's about adoption. And in that, he talks about, he says, adoption is the, not adoption like adopting children and those kind of things, but our adoption, that we have been adopted into his family. And what he says is, he says, adoption is even a higher than justification. He's like, yes, do we need this great truth of justification? I know that might be a big word to some of you. Justification just means this, that God looks on you because of what Christ has done. He declares you innocent. He declares you righteous. His justice, he has been satisfied in Christ. And so we're declared righteous, justified. But he says adoption is even greater. And why does he say that? Because it's this picture of love. It's this picture of grace that God brings you into his family. That you're no longer a slave. You're not just a servant. See, this is the picture that we looked at when we first started and we met in this building. The very first time, almost a year ago in October. And when we met in here, we, we were doing a series looking at the prodigal son. And when you think of the prodigal son, here is a person that, remember what, what the father said. Do you remember what he said? The father, when he sees his son coming, and he's so happy, his heart's full, because he said, my son was dead. But he's alive again. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture that the far-off lands, the living in sin, the picture that you see of the prodigal son living a lavish lifestyle and wasting it all on loose living, wasting it on the things of this world and trying to pursue a happiness outside of God. And here he was living in it and he was dead in it. And it's a picture of all of a sudden he has this moment where he recognizes, I'm worthless. I'm sitting here eating. He's like, the servants in my parents' house have it better off than I do as a son here eating pig's food. So he gets up and he goes and he tries to prepare his statement. If you remember, he tries to prepare a statement. He's going to try to win back himself into the good graces of his father. But the father wouldn't have any of it. The father didn't need him to be good and gracious. The father was going to be himself gracious. He was going to lavish himself on him and say, no, 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 you're not just going to, and here's what the, the son wanted to do. He wanted to do exactly what we do. He wanted to earn his way. He wanted to earn his way. Like he had his speech prepared. I'll earn my way. I'll be a servant in your home. Just, just let me even be a servant. And the father's like, no, no, no. You're a son. Let's get the robe. Let's, let's celebrate because my dead son is back home again. You see, that is who we are. And you need to remind yourself of this constantly. Remind yourself of the gospel. This isn't something that you might have prayed when you were 7, 10, 12, 35. It doesn't matter where you are. You need to remind yourself that apart from Christ, I would be completely and utterly lost. I'd be dead in my sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, let those words sink into our hearts until it leads us to complete and utter devotion to him, created for good works. But man, aren't we? We fall short. I think of my week this week. I fall short. I'm not good enough, and I never will be good enough. I'm in pursuit of holiness. I'm in pursuit of these things because that's what God has called me to, but I'm not doing those things to be accepted by him because I know that I can only be accepted because of Christ. So I rest in knowing him. I rest in his conquering of sin and declaring it, it is finished at the cross. I put my trust in him. And the great news is this, is that he brings us into a family. Even in this verse 19 here in chapter 2, we're not just citizens even. 
You're not just citizens of a city that you get to be a part of this, citizens of God, and we get to be a part of this. No, even more than a citizen, you become family. You get to be invited into the household, the very household of God. You get to sit at the table with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and enjoy His presence and His glory and His grace for all eternity. And so we're going to seek to do good works through, notice this, through the community of God. We're going to tease this out over the next few weeks, looking next week at the importance of doing these things and serving and and ministering and loving and doing these good works within the body of Christ. How important authenticity is in being real. Like, listen, we're going to tease all these things out over the next several weeks, but I want to encourage you, listen, Stop trying to clean yourself up and to be accepted by people and to try to be accepted by God. No, this is, I come with my brokenness. I come with failures and struggles and I need help and I need God's help. But also, here's the gift. The gift is the church. The gift is relationships. This is why. He doesn't just rescue us and say, all right, awesome, you're saved. No, he invites you into relationship with him and with all the brothers and sisters in Christ the importance of the body of Christ. And we're going to look at what that looks like over the coming weeks. But this morning, will you just treasure Christ this morning? Will you be freshly and newly reminded of His great love, of what He has accomplished if you put your trust in Him? That He has taken your dead heart and He brings life back to you. Listen, if you've never put your trust in Christ alone, if you're still working it and trying to earn it, will you rest in Him? Will you put your trust anew in Him? Call out to Him. Seek me and you'll find me. Knock and I'll answer. He longs because He's already accomplished these things in the past. It's not a future thing. This has already been done. The the, The debt has been paid. And so, as we were singing, and we're going to sing that song again together, my worth is not in my accomplishments. My worth is not in the things that I've done for God. My worth is not in skill or fame or in win or loss. None of those things matter. My worth isn't in these things. My worth is only in Christ. My worth is because of who Christ is and what He's done. So rest, connect yourself to Him picture that we see in the gospel of John. He's the vine, we're the branches. Listen, if you're not a part of the vine, you're dead. You need to be grafted in, is another word that's used to describe how we get to be a part of his family. We're grafted in, we're brought into, connected to, adopted into. And if you are a follower of Jesus, will you remind yourself, preach this gospel to your heart. Let it Help you to rest in what God has done and what He's doing in your life. And help it to lead you to live more devoted, more passionate, with a greater purpose, with a mission to serve within the church and without. To get a part of a community and and give yourself to uh, to, to share and to be open with your problems and struggles so that the others who are also having problems and struggles can encourage you through the Word of God together. I invite you into community and into relationship with an almighty God. Let me pray, uh, and then we're going to sing this, this song to, again that we've already just sung right before the message. My worth is not in 
what, I, what I've done. It's not in what I own. It's not in what I've done. It's not in anything that I'm capable of doing. My worth is only established because of Christ. So maybe the first time, that was the first time you've ever heard this song, or maybe you've heard it before, maybe with fresh eyes and with a fresh voice, you proclaim it to be true of you, and not just a, a lyrics to a song. Let it come from your heart this morning. So let me pray as we close. Father in heaven, we are so, God, so grateful for your 